Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. Jude at the end of your New Testaments. If you had that this morning, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you're not sure where that is, it's right toward the end of the New Testament, next to the last book in the Bible. It's about one page long, uh, 25 verses is all it is. We've spent six weeks on it. Uh, we're going to spend one more week next week, and we will be done. We're going to start in verse 17 today. Uh, it's a pivotal place in the letter of Jude because Jude switches gears. Uh, Sir John Seeley said a long time ago, he said, you know, when the power of reclaiming the lost dies out of the church, the church ceases to be the church. Our mission, just as Jesus' mission was, is not just to be good people in a dark world. Our mission is to seek and save that which is lost, to bring the gospel, the life-giving, life-breathing word of God to that. And Judas talking to a church that has been experiencing some problems. This letter to the church is telling us first and foremost, listen, we need to contend for the faith, he says, that was once for all delivered to the saints. That was in verse 3. And then he spent the, the, next, the, the subsequent 13 or 14 verses really defining and describing the problem in somewhat scathing terms, to be really honest. He hasn't been particularly tender in describing these people who are causing problems within the church, but now he turns a page. He comes to the really uh, the point of application with us, and he's telling us, "Listen, this is how you need to contend." <coughs> Sorry, it's you can't talk and swallow at the same time. <coughs> If you look in verse 17, you look in verse 20, twice in this passage, he uses the term, but you, beloved, but you, beloved. And remember, in the first part of the letter, he's told us, listen, you are beloved by Christ. The, the, the saints, the believers, they are really beloved by the Lord. And so he turns the attention now back to us. And so he says, but you, beloved. And he gives us really three things that we need to do. This is our outline for the day. He said, first of all, remember. And then he says, then remain in what you know to be true. And thirdly, this is how you respond to these within the church who, who claim to be believers. And, and he's made it pretty clear they're not. But he said, this is how you respond. And that's a pivotal thing as we come to the conclusion of this letter. Here's what he says, number one. He says, remember. Here's how it goes. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. And the first thing that Jude wants us to understand is we should not be surprised that these people are in the church. He says, remember the words that were spoken to you. Their presence is certain. Their presence is sure. Jesus talked about this in a parable back in the the gospel of Matthew, and he said, listen, the enemy comes and sows seeds, false seeds, in the middle of the wheat field. And you have wheat and tares growing together in the middle of the wheat field. He said, the kingdom of God is like that. And so we need to understand, Jude has even talked in in the past verses of this letter about some historical instances. He talked about Old Testament Israel, the people that came out of Egypt. And he said, all of them but two died of that one generation. All of them but two died in the desert because they didn't believe. And yet they had the name as being the children of Israel, the people of of God. He talked about fallen angels, angels who saw all the wonders of heaven and yet rebelled against God and became demons, so to speak. And then he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah who, who lived in the presence of truth and departed from that. He talked about Cain who saw his parents walk with the Lord and departed from that. He talked about Balaam who was a prophet who actually could hear the word of the Lord to him and yet for pay, for money, for hire, changed his way. And he talked about Korah, who was just power hungry. So the presence of these people within the body of believers is historical. It's something that is certain and something that is there. He said, so don't be surprised that this is happening in your midst. But then he also says, and the apostles told us to be on the lookout. And there's a lot of kind of debate among the the commentators, among the scholars as to, okay, what's he talking about? Because he uses a quote. And some people say, well, it's an unknown source. We don't know where it came from. And and other people will say, no, 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 it's an extra biblical source. I mean, Duke, uh, Dukes, I'm excited about the basketball game today. (laughs) All right, right, we're just going to go to the Sweet 16. We're going to beat Sparty, and then we get to play Texas Tech, and then my world is going to be wrecked because one of my teams is going to lose. Anyway, so Jude, Jude, right? We're talking the letter of Jude, right? So Jude has already quoted Enoch. He's also quoted from the Assumption of Moses. And so they say maybe it's an extra, extra biblical work. I don't think it's either. The, the guys that say that fail to recognize the source. The source is Peter. Peter is one of the apostles that he is talking about. Here's how Jude renders this statement. In the last time, there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. If you look over in 2 Peter, which I've told you for several weeks, is there's a parallel account of Jude in 2 Peter. Peter says, no, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. Jude had read Peter. Jude is quoting Peter. It's interesting that word mockers is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used once in Peter, and it's used now in Jude. This is a direct 
quote. So Peter, so Jude is quoting Peter saying, listen, these guys are going to be among you. The apostles talked about this. Peter had warned them about that, had warned the church about this more than once, not just in the passage that we just read. For instance, in 2 Peter 2, it says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. He talks about their presence among us. But Peter wasn't the only one who said something. Paul had the same concern. In fact, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They're not the real deal, but they're trying to act like they're the real deal, in other words. And he said, I'm not surprised. For even even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So this was a concern not just among the people that Jude was writing to, but this was church-wide. It's still true today. Paul would go on to write to Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. These teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared. John. The, the guy who wrote the gospel of John and the letters of John who wrote the revelation, one of the apostles, John said, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits as to whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so their presence is certain. The apostles talked about this. But here's the point. Jesus said it first. Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing. What's sheep's clothing? What does that mean? Well, sheep's clothing, that was the dress of, an, of a prophet. So they appear to be prophets. They have the right look. They have the right sound. They might even have the right education. Who knows? But they come to you with the resume of a prophet. He said, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. In Matthew 24, 11, he repeated the same idea when he said, and then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. The point is simply this. Their presence is there. They are in our churches today. They are among the fellowship today. And so, first of all, we shouldn't be uh, surprised. But secondly, we understand that this was predicted, that the Lord had talked about this. And the point is, Jude goes on to say, is they are who we thought they were. They are exactly what they thought they were going to be. And he begins to list, this is what these guys do. He calls them, first of all, mockers. What does it mean to mock? It means to view something or speak of something or consider something with scorn or or with shame. These guys in particular talked about the return of Jesus and the sovereignty of God in those terms. They didn't have a whole lot of regard for them. They might have given it lip service, but their lives betrayed something totally different. And folks, if you see that in the church today, if you see that among your fellowship of, of friends and whatever, be very concerned about that. Here's the way Peter rendered it. We read 2 Peter 3, 3. Here's Peter continues the thought. He says, they will say, well, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? I'm not so sure that Jesus is, is going to come again. 
For before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Things just go on. There's a uniformitarianism to it. And they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. In other words, God is sovereign. He spoke this into existence. And friends, here's the point. If God is sovereign in creation, then he owns it all. And he can be sovereign among creation as we proceed. And he says, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world in the mighty flood. These guys scoff at the return of Jesus just as they scoff at the sovereignty of God. The point is that we don't necessarily have accountability. We determine our own way and they are led by their lust. And that's not just sexual lust. It could be materialism or other kinds of desires and lusts that humans kind of conjure up with ourselves. The point is they recognize they have no accountability because they are creating or they know a better way. They always pitch themselves as, I know something you don't. I know more than you do. God is holding out on you. Maybe it's not the way that it seems. All of these are the ploys of the false ones. And he says, not only are they mockers, not only are they lustful, but they are divisive. They, they pitch themselves as elite, as smarter than the room, as enlightened. Judah said in verse 12, he said, they ruin your love feast with their clickishness. They, they create divisions. They do it on purpose. He said in verse 15, he said, listen, kind of their mode of operating is they begin to grumble. They grumble about leadership. They grumble, grumble about the service. They grumble about other believers. They grumble about God. And they begin to find fault. Listen, when you don't have an argument, the first thing you do is start to point fingers at somebody else. And that's what these guys do. They chase their senses. They become very sensual and they're very arrogant. And he says they're dominated by the flesh. That's the word that he used. That they are flesh dominated. And there's an interesting play in words. And I need to give you a little bit of background in the psychology of that world. Because it was dominated by Greek philosophy and Greek theology and Greek thought all across the world that, that Jude is writing to. Here's what he says. These are the ones who cause divisions and are worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. What they were doing was creating kind of a class system. What I'm going to call the haves and the have-nots. Now, if you've been around Christianity for very long, you may have encountered some people like this. I did early on in my faith journey. Some people that told me that because I didn't do this, because I hadn't, didn't have that, that I just wasn't quite enlightened enough yet. It's still there today. Basically, the Greeks believed this, that the, the organism, a body, a human being was made up of three parts. There was the soma, which was... The physical body itself, the flesh and bone, the, the blood and tissue of existence. And then they said there's the suke, which is the physical life within that body. And every living, breathing creature, man and animals alike, had a suke. But they said certain people have the spirit, the pneuma. 
that they, they had the spirit and this made them have the ability to reason and to think and to hear God and to communicate with him. And here was the deal. There were some people who were more enlightened than other people. And they possessed the spirit. The other people just possessed the suke. And these ones kind of rise to a new level of experience, a new level of spirituality and religion. And the rest of those folks just had to be content with a lesser experience. It's a class system, the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots, they call the sukikoi. Now, remember the language here, because this is really interesting. The, they don't have the spirit. They have life, but that's about it. They're just content to be lesser beings. But the pneumatikoi, they were capable of this great enlightening walk with God and to have a real experience with God. So much so that they even believed themselves to be above the law. That the natural laws of sin and things didn't apply to them. That God would give them a pass. Sin didn't exist for these people. They could do anything they wanted. A lot of the commentators think Jude was dealing with this theology and this mentality in his world. So here's what he says. He says, there are those who cause divisions who are worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. The way the Greek literally reads is this. These be they who divide. They are natural. They are sukikoi. You see what he does there? He hits them with their own argument. And they are devoid of the Spirit. They are not pneumatical. He's saying that these spiritual giants, these enlightened elitists who think that they are better than you and have a better argument that no more than the room, they neither have religion nor relationship with God. They are worldly minded. They are sensual and fleshly. And he says, and he makes another statement about their lostness so that we know these are not Christians who lost their salvation. These are people who acted like Christians but never had it. He said they are devoid of the Spirit. And I remind you what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. That if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not even saved. And, and so he deals, he just kind of throws their argument <clears throat> back in their face. And so he says, listen, remember everything that you've been told. Remember the teaching that you have. And for us, the application is simply this. No good theology recognize it having come straight from the Scripture, go with that. And then he says, then remain. What does he mean by remain? But beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We are told to be proactive in four things. First of all, bulk up in the faith. Build yourself up, he says, in the faith. In Jude 3, when he talked about the faith once for all delivered to the saints, he talks about that content, that body of teaching or that theology that was given to the church. Okay, stay true 
to that. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul tells us that that foundation came through the apostles and the prophets. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we know that the early church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. What Jude is saying is, take that teaching. You say, man, I wish we had that. You do. It's called the New Testament. He said, take that teaching and Build yourself up on that teaching. In other words, become strong and agile in the scriptures. So here's my question, church. You individually, Monday through Saturday, what are you doing to strengthen yourself in the scriptures? Hopefully, you're having a quiet time. Hopefully, you're reading the Bible. I'm amazed again and again and again. I don't know why I should be, but I am. When somebody starts reading the scripture, I've got a friend who started reading the scripture a couple of months ago, and he's kind of, I don't know what his track or what his path is, but he's talking to me about it. It's amazing how transformative scripture is when you just get immersed in it. And he reads, and, he, he, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal things to him, and he'll text me, and he'll call me, and we'll talk. And it's amazing what the Lord is showing him. I don't have to say anything. You let the Word of God be the Word of God, and let the Spirit be the Spirit of God. You put those two things together, it's powerful, man. It builds you up. So you, you bulk up in the faith through the Scriptures. The second thing he says... Oh, yeah, I, I skipped a whole section of my deal. Back up to that. Let's go back up to Just to kind of drive that home a little bit. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking about dealing with these false teachings, his prescription was the same as Jude's. He says, and so I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, to the scriptures, which is now able to do what? He uses the same language, build you up. And give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Peter, by the way, said, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. So the word of God is fully powerful and fully uh, able to do the thing that he's telling us to do. The second thing, build yourself up, bulk up in the faith. Second thing is pray in the spirit. By the way, let me just say, this is not talking about speaking in tongues. A lot of people have tried to use this as an apologetic for that, and it's not. When we pray as a Christian, you should always pray in the Spirit. It has nothing to do with the mechanics of, of tongues or charismatic or anything like that. What he means by speaking in, or by praying in the Spirit is to pray that which is consistent with the Spirit, or pray in God's will, in other words. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.18. He said, pray in the Spirit at all times. At all times, and on every occasion. Ben, I'm dealing with a, a tough decision i got to make. What do I need to do? I need to talk to a bunch of counselors. Okay, that's good, but are you praying about it? Uh, you, I, I had a conversation with one of our staff a couple of weeks ago, and I said, hey, we got something big that we're about to roll out and something that we want to do. Uh, I need to get you invested in this. And they responded, you know, I, I, I've already got this thing in conflict with that. And then they got back and said, you know what? I spoke too soon. I should have prayed about that. Let me get back to you. Man, I loved that. I loved hearing that from our staff and from our leadership. That we're not just making 
decisions based on what's expedient. We're making decisions based on, okay, what did the Spirit of God say to me about this? Paul said, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. You think about how many opportunities that allows you during a standard day. And then he says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Are you aware of the way God's moving as you pray? And when he says persistent, he's talking about long-term prayer here, y'all. He's talking about praying something one time saying, in your will, Lord, and just moving on. He's saying, keep revisiting that. Be persistent in that, whether you're praying for a loved one to come to Christ or whether you're dealing with a situation that you've got to make a decision about, whether it's, it's something that's pulling you in one direction versus another. Be persistent and stay alert to the way that the Lord begins to answer that. How many times do, do you pray about something and then something happens and you move on and you think, man, that was a coincidence? No, it wasn't. Connect what happens with what you prayed. He said, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. James Moffat said this, and I think it really applies to this point in the message, that prayer is love in need, appealing to love and power. Isn't that a great statement? When we have a need, we know that God loves us, and so we go to God who is all-powerful and loves us and say, God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what we need. Here's what's going on. And be all about that. That's, guys, in all honesty, this whole deal that we do during our, our worship music for this prayer area to be open, I wish we utilized that more. I wish we could be transparent enough with one another to say, you know what, I need prayer. And we would be respectful and, and loving enough of one another to say, you know what, let us pray for you. And we need to utilize that as a body. There's great power in that. The third thing that Jude says we need to do. He says, first of all, we need to build ourselves up in the faith. Secondly, we need to pray in the Spirit. But thirdly, stay in the love of God. You may read that and you go, well, that's kind of an odd statement. I thought God loved us all the time. Is there a time that God doesn't love us? Well, no. God does love you all the time. In Romans 5, 5, it says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as believers, the the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is a reminder that God loves you all the time no matter what. So the question is, okay, Jude, what the heck do you mean? What are you saying here? Here's what I think Jude is saying. For us... This is all points of application for us, building ourselves up in the faith, okay, praying in the Spirit, and the third thing is keeping ourselves in the love of God. That would be abiding. That would be that New Testament principle of abiding. For instance, in John chapter 15, Jesus said this, just as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. It's a beautiful statement, a beautiful phrase. What do you mean, Jesus? Well, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. In other words, obey the command that I've given. Follow the direction I've taken. Let that be your primary objective. Let that be your mission. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. He said, I've given you a picture. I've given you a template to work off of. He said, if you do that, And you're hearing these, you're going, well, this isn't some earth-shaking theology. No, it's not. It's basic theology. But it's also how we contend with false teachers and false teaching. 
Build yourselves up. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. And John, 1 John wrote in one of his letters, in 1 John 2, 5, he said, But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that's how we know we're living with him. It breeds security. It breeds a confidence within you. What Judah's saying is, instead of chasing after sensual things, instead of chasing after your lust, instead of causing divisions and creating a haves versus have-nots kind of situation within your church, instead of doing all that, instead of chasing some morality after your, of your own making, he said, listen, experience the love of God by staying in his word, by staying in his presence, and obey his word. Stay in his love. And the fourth thing he said is be expectant. He says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, man, I would love to have that. And I, I would too. There's going to be a time when we really get to know the full mercy of our God that relates to eternal life. You say, when is that, Mike? Well, it's what Titus in Titus 2.13 calls the blessed hope. When does that happen? He says, the glorious Appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The very thing that some of these teachers were questioning and denying. The return of Christ. Our accountability to Him when He returns. He says, look for that. Be expectant because it's going to, certain, to, to, to be very certain. What He's essentially saying is this. Live your lives with eternity always in view. You can focus on the here and now. You've got to deal with the day-to-day. But he said, keep in mind that this isn't all. There's a whole lot more that goes on in our lives than just now. Which is the complete opposite of everything that you hear in your world, isn't it? I mean, the world is the champion of the seize the day idea. And, and that's a great concept. But if you do that without eternity in mind, you're just going from thing to thing to thing. He says, keep eternity in view. And the mercy of the Lord, the full investment of that will happen when he returns, when he comes for those who trust him. So that's your job. Those four things. Build yourself up in the faith. Pray in the spirit. Stay in the love of God and be expectant. But the question is, okay, how do we handle when we have something like this in our church, and I have it within my, or I have it within my family, or I have it within my faith group, how do you handle that? Well, that's how he finishes. He says, "Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out on the fire, out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating in the garment, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh." Here's the answer to the question we've been wondering the whole letter: Well, how do I deal with this? Notice first, he gives you three levels of exposure among these people. There are some who are just kind of dabbling in it. They're just kind of, they're they're starting to question. They're wondering, could this be, is this something we need to look at? Secondly, there are some who have kind of taken the next step, and they're in immediate danger. He says they are in the fire. Okay, they are being scorched. And then thirdly, there are some people They're deeply invested. They're deep, deep way into this. So those are the three levels that he gives. And here is his instruction for each one of them. First of all, for the people who are doubting, as he calls them. The people who are are dabbling in that. 
This was exactly what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You remember the Corinthians were a church with a lot of problems and a lot of issues. They're probably the closest thing to the Western church that we see in the, in the New Testament. And Paul writes to them and he says this. He said, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. He said, listen, even somebody who is close to God can get really distracted and sidetracked by this. And so here's what he told some other church, the churches in the Galatian region. Here's what he said. So if someone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, that's the key. He says, Jude says, have mercy to those who doubt. That doesn't mean that you look the other way. What it means is you say, hey, man, here's what the truth is. Don't forget the truth. And it's a very gentle approach. He said, Paul says to Galatians, and make sure that you're not getting sucked into this as well. Now, back in week two, I gave you another quote from Paul in his letter to Timothy when he talked about this same approach. How do you contend without being contentious to this level of person who is, who is questioning, who is doubting, who is struggling in this? Paul writes, first of all, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. It's not about arguing them back to the faith. Or in this case, into the faith. He says, because that just produces quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And opponents must be gently instructed. There it is. In the hope. Now, now hear this church. It's not your job to win them. Do you hear that? It's not your job. Your job is to gently instruct, to say, here it is. In the hope that God will lead them or grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That's consistent with what Jude has said. You're supposed to do at that first level. But he said there are some people, listen, they become entangled in the teaching. He said you got to snatch them out of the fire. This is a much more decisive, much more forceful act. The word for snatch means to grasp quickly, sometimes by force. It's, in other words, it's more confrontational. And there is a time that there needs to be a confrontation to your level of reaching into these people. This is what James talked about in James chapter 5 when he said, If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way and will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So you've got to confront in love to those people that are dangerously close to the fire, they're in the fire. Then there's a third level. He said, and on some, have mercy with fear, with phobos. Be very concerned because these people have bought in. They are fully invested. They are completely immersed in this false teaching. And Jude says, there is a danger here. You don't just, just go up and try to start having a conversation with them because they're dangerous. He says, have mercy with fear. You love them. But you got to 
really decide how and when you're going to have a conversation with them. These guys are replicating and reproducing with their influence. One commentator I read said they are carriers of a fatal spiritual disease. Man, coming out of a pandemic, we understand that, don't we? Here's what Paul would write in his letter to the Romans. So I urge you, brethren, keep your eye. You, you got to watch on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching you've learned and, and turn away from them. You don't just rush right in. This is something you got to have a long conversation with the Lord about to be able to go in and do this. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord, but of their own appetites. And that's exactly what Jews have been saying this whole letter. And by their smooth and flattering, oh, they got an argument. They, they're, they're good at the debate. They kind of live for that. And they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So Jude says, have mercy with fear. Interesting picture that he uses of them. He says, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. The word garment is what we would call underwear. It's the layer of clothing under the outer layer of clothing. The ketona. And he says, it has been soiled. Well, you know what that means. It has been polluted by bodily functions, is the, is the hint. And, and just like over in the nursery, when our babies have an explosion, that the workers, those faithful saints over there who take care of that, are careful not to get that on them. That's what Jude's saying. Nobody wants to handle somebody else's dirty underwear. He says, be careful. You don't want to get any on you. And if you rush right in, you're liable to get some of it on you. So what, what's the insight for us? Just a couple of real basic things today. First of all is this. Ask this question. Am I in the faith today? Have I trusted Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? Or am I trying to add something, bring something else into that? Or am I trying to bring Jesus into something else I'm already doing? That's the great fail of a lot of Western theology is we, we try to add Jesus to something we're already doing. And what you're already doing isn't going to save you anyway. Only what Christ did, his death on the cross in your place, his burial and his resurrection, overcoming death in the grave promises you eternal life if you'll trust that alone. Are you in the faith? Then secondly, commit yourself to remaining in Christ. Are you building up your faith? Are you in the habit of praying in the Spirit? Are you being open and obedient on your journey with the Lord to stay in His love? And do you live your life with eternity in view? And the last thing is, as you encounter these situations, you need to pray and seek God's discernment in dealing with each level that you may encounter. Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your scripture, which doesn't tell us, man, come to Christ and everything's great. You tell us you come to Christ and it's a journey and it's a struggle. But your spirit is in us and will lead us and will communicate with us and will correct us and will encourage us. We just need to stay in the spirit. Father, I pray we would do that, that you would encourage this church and those who are listening today with that. 
Father, I pray for those who may be listening who have never trusted you as Savior, that this would be the day. Father, we pray that week in and week out, trusting and believing that you're going to reach into the hearts of these. Father, I don't know who they are. You do. Your Spirit knows them, and your Spirit has been prompting and cajoling them throughout this series. Hey, make sure you're in the faith. Trust the Lord. And Father, this might be the day of salvation for one of those. I pray it would be. But Father, for the church, that we would know how to walk forward in the spirit and discernment, knowing how to deal with each one of these situations. Father, I pray that we stay in a place where we're abiding in you and you would lead us through victoriously as we've sung in our worship today, that you would lead us into that. So thank you for your love and thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.